Hey everyone and welcome to 121 in Flux, I am Peter, that is Connor and we are going to talk about Mulholland Drive on this episode, this is a David Lynch movie and we have been watching Twin Peaks, we did June a couple of weeks ago but this one we are doing, for the same reasons we did Unbreakable a couple of weeks ago is that we're, we're doing a thing on the Facebook group where we were picking our favourite films of the 2000s, Connor hadn't seen it so we thought, that's, that's you know, it's like a good enough reason as any to, yeah. to watch Mulholland Drive so um, I actually really like the film I, I've loved it for a long time this is don't know what viewing I'm on but so it's a repeat viewing for me not for Connor so I don't think there's any point in doing a spoiler free section of this one okay I think that I don't know if it really benefits anyone especially since it's a film where you really want to just get into in, into the details you want to talk about analysis you want to start deconstructing it and what does it mean? That kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't know if a movie... Cause I think the spoiler-free review would be, well, it's really good, but it's a David Lynch movie, so here's all the things, all the qualifiers that you have to put out for like people who... Because you know, some yeah. people just will not like a David Lynch movie. Yeah. Meet our friend Matt, for example, who will just not like a David Lynch movie. Um, but I suppose the first question that you ask Connor is if he even liked it. I very much enjoyed two thirds of this. Oh boy. The, rema- the remaining third, I'm undecided. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I think you can tell exactly which third. I'm assuming it's the last. Well, yeah. It's, there's a very specific point where it's like, okay, I see, I kind of see what it's doing, and I think I get it, or at least to a degree. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously. We'll, we'll talk through this and we'll see if, if my opinion changes, and it may do. But I'm not sure if I enjoyed that. Okay. If that makes sense. Interesting. <laughs> so, right, so while in drive, uh, do, do, where do I start? Do we do like an overview first before we start digging into the small details? We probably should. Uh, so, so I've got the cast list up here, and any characters, a lot of character names here. Some char- some actors have multiple character names, which just makes things really confusing. But yeah. the character we will call Rhea, yeah, is in as an attempted assassination up in Mulholland Drive. Car ends up crashing. She gets out. She ends up hiding in a in a house that's been left vacant. And that house is also intended for young Betty, played by Naomi Watts, who's coming to town, coming to LA to be an actress. And she finds her, and she realizes that she has amnesia. Uh, she can't remember anything after this this accident. I say accident. It was an attempted assassination. The car part was an accident, though. Seemingly accident, yeah. Well, it was random. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as you get. Yeah, but that that part was an accident to an extent. And they they go on a sort of mystery caper, trying to figure out who she is, yeah. who she was, that kind of thing. Uh, she has a lot of money in a bag with a mysterious blue triangular key. Yep. And all that. Meanwhile, there's also other subplots going on in the movie. We cut to various other things. There's a director, of course, who's been forced to cast an actress in his movie. There's other little random seemingly random moments at least at the time when they first pop up there's a there's a plot with a hitman there's a plot with a hitman yes uh, who seems to be looking for for Rhea yes 
Uh, there's a scene that very makes it makes it very clear that he is looking for a dark-haired woman, uh, someone who might have look a bit beat up, and that's referring to her accent. And... It's, it's very heavily implied that it's Rhea, at least. Yeah. So that's the, the overall test. Now, I, I think we do have to st- start with the big ideas. I think we have to talk about the big ideas. And so, Connor, what did you think? So obviously, it's actually later than two-thirds. It's actually more at the last fifth of the movie. Uh, okay, I was approximating. Yeah, it's just so it's two and a half hours long. It's the last half an hour that's the, the switch. Okay. So at that moment, it's after they go to Silencio, the, the concert hall, the theatre. Yeah. Uh, they come back. I'll, I'll talk about specifics in there in a minute and all that. But I'm just I want to get to the, the broad strokes here and see where, where, what you're thinking and what your general ideas just now. There's a flip. There's a flip at that point in the movie where our two lead actresses change roles and they both turn into different characters whose names we've heard throughout the movie. Uh, Rita becomes the actress who has been forced into the movie. Yes. Who they sort of the well, I'll call them the gangsters. That feels wrong, but I don't know how else to describe them. The gangsters are forcing this this actress upon the movie. That's Camilla. Yes. And Betty becomes Diane, uh, a woman who they thought Diane might be who who Rita was because they she remembers the name and they they go to the address and they find what appears to be the corpse of this woman named Diane. They also and she gets the memory as well when she when they get served by the waitress in the in the diner. Yes. And it's when they open the blue, the blue cube, the blue box. The mysterious blue key goes in the mysterious blue box, and they go inside. Not they. Well, Betty disappears we, first. Well, yeah. Okay. The camera goes inside. The camera goes inside the box, and there's a flip, and suddenly Naomi watches now. Diane, she's in the the apartment that Diane was found dead in. Yep. And now Rita's Camilla, and. Yes. We see about them having this relationship, and she's with the director now, Camilla. Uh, Diane, aka Betty, is jealous of that relationship, and all. And she eventually meets up with the hitman and puts out a hit on Camilla. I, two, there's two yes, names for both yes. characters. It's getting complicated <laughs> it to talk is. about. Right, right. So that's and then the movie ends seemingly with Diane committing suicide. And yes, I'm skipping some details here. We're going to go into the details. I just. Yeah. I want to know what you what your interpretation, just in a general sense, is of this last part of the film. So what it is very this? much felt like that was the beginning of the film, almost like that. It, it almost felt to me like everything we saw from the start, you know, with the the attempted hit mm. going forward, was actually after this segment we see at the end. Okay, interesting. And <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, as someone who's watched it multiple times and I've seen like tons of online theory, it's just funny hearing a first time like that, initial that, that was, reaction. That was, a, that was a reaction, right? <laughs> I mean, it, that that was a one that made sense. Obviously, the the hit, and then you follow on from there. Okay, I'm going to tell you what the popular theory is. Okay, the, and then uh, I, I, I've got a couple. Okay, all right, okay. Help me with help me with them. The other one is that first, what, four-fifths of the film or so mm-hmm. is some sort of dream, non-reality thing. Non-reality thing, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being very vague intentionally here. Right, okay. Yeah. Right, so, any more? Just the two? Uh, th- those were the two that sprung to mind, right, at least. Okay. Now, the second one is more on, on point. 
uh, at uh, least with what the there's not a I mean, there's actually no right theory in the sense that David Lynch is notoriously someone who says, I'm not telling you what I meant. You, It's open for you. That's what he wants. So the popular theory with this whole dream thing, with the, the first four-fifths of the movie being a dream and the last fifth being reality, right? Yeah. That whole idea is that it's it's Diane's dream. It's Diane rewriting her ideal version of events. It's... Yeah. Uh, it's Go with the idea that the movie is about Hollywood and the idea of like you know wanting to go to LA and be famous and be an actress and how that usually does not work out for people. That that that's kind of what the, the story of the movie is telling. And in the dream, she idealizes like the perfect coming to Hollywood. Even the the scene at the start when she arrives from the airport and everything's very sunny. It's almost like a slightly just bloomed out. You know the the images mm. are very intentionally kind of dreamlike. The whole idea that. She goes to the audition and like they're all like shock and awe. Like she's amazing. Oh my god, this this young woman yeah. needs to be in our movies, and this is so impressive. And on top of that, if we're going with the idea that in the real world she was in a relationship with Camilla, and they they were seemingly happy, but she broke it off, and she seemed to be having an affair with the director, and the director and her seemed to do it behind her back, and then it all sort of comes out. Like in this dream, the director's life has been made miserable. He's yes. been forced actresses upon him. He's uh, his wife's leaving for a pool guy and all this. Uh, the fact that the actress who has been forced on him is named Camilla seems like a very sort of like if it is a dream and like the idea that certain elements of real life like seed into the dreams in a weird way, like that's another sort of hint, another connection. Yeah. There. Uh, so that's kind of the idea is that it's like in as in, in the real world in present day. She's broke up, she's been completely torn apart from this experience and she's put a hit on Camilla and then... Because I think when we actually cut to that timeline, or the timeline, the the real world. Yeah. It's it actually, most of that's then a flashback within that. It's all at one night. Like she, she wakes yes. up, she answers the door, the, the neighbour who was seen in the dream... Yeah, uh, comes and gets her stuff again. That's the idea that stuff is seeping into the dream, like actual real bits and pieces are kind of mm. getting in there. And she takes the stuff off, and it shows you the uh, the ashtray on the table, and that's one of the ones that that's one of the things that the neighbor takes. And then it shows you that it's there again when Camilla's there, and it's just to show that it's set before that. Yeah. Then we're in a flashback, and it shows you the events of the sort of the the breakdown of the relationship, all the all the events that led up to the end of it. Uh, uh, down to one of my favorite scenes in the movie actually is when she goes to Mulholland Drive and it, it kind of signifies why that's important and why the dream maybe starts on Mulholland Drive it starts off with an assassination attempt on her because that's where that's where she broke her heart because that's where yeah. she went and she thought they were getting back together she thought it was all ending well and she takes her up the hill the love theme plays and mm. you know it all goes to shit when she goes up there and we meet the director of the house and all that because that's, that's another kind of twist actually that his house is on Mulholland Drive you don't really yeah. realise that earlier on in the movie and uh, so that that all that all plays out, and then it and it, it's her again sitting just there in the in the room, and the blue key that the the hitman gives her is on the table, showing you that this is after the fact. This is yes. after she's taken out the hit. So all all that plays out, but we see the we'll, we'll get into the monster behind the diner and the blue box and the old people and why those little old people coming coming for her and the rest of it, and they come and they kill her. So that the idea is that. Because the movie actually starts, I don't know if you noticed this, but after the uh, the dancing, 
Yeah. At the start. The actual next thing you see before it goes to the title, before it goes to the credits, is a POV shot of someone lying down in a bed. Yeah. It's going down in a pillow. So actually, it's, it's quite clearly seen at the start. We're, we're going to sleep right now. Mm. It's like it's like right there at the start. I don't think it's something you maybe immediately notice the first time through, but when you watch it again, because you kind of, it's just, it feels like almost nothing the first time, because it's just this little shot that lasts 10 seconds, yeah. and then the, it's before the plot gets going, so you don't really remember it. But it's before a, even the title card, I think. Like yeah, the yeah, title it's, it's, it's before all that. And uh, and again, that idea that she goes to sleep, and then it starts off in Mulholland Drive, because that's where her heart was broken, and it's her that's got a hit on her, like she did. But in, in the Fantastic Dream World, suddenly love of a life, Camilla, now Rita, is a damsel in distress and she needs Betty to live. She needs her help and without her she's lost and confused and she's completely reliant on her. It's like a complete fantasy. And a lot of the, the way that the movie plays out in, the, in those parts is very reminiscent of that in the sense that when she does arrive at the airport, when Betty arrives at the airport and she's with the old people and the acting's like intentionally bad in that scene to a point. It's cheesy. Yeah. And it's, it's supposed to be cheesy though. It's supposed to be that that ideal, you know, you know, small town girl coming to Hollywood, and she's like over enthusiastic, and it all feels just a little bit fake, and it's yeah. supposed to. But Ellie itself is that the whole idea is that Hollywood's fake. One of the things I love throughout the movie actually is that every time it goes to like an aerial shot of the city, or it goes to that uh, sort of bird's eye view, like going across the city, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always accompanied by that low hum, that low drumming bass, yeah. and it's just sort of like. Yeah, it's all dreamlike and all that, but this city is actually quite dark and it's quite dangerous. It's you can get lost in here and you will lose yourself, and it's the loss mm-hmm. of your innocence and all the rest of it. Uh, so, that's not to say that this is a hundred percent correct, but I think most people agree that this is the gist of what's going on in the movie. Yeah, because it it kind of fits. Most of it fits into place. There's not everything. There's some loose ends. There's some little things that don't quite add up, and there's some some things that are a little bit out of place and some some people subscribe, subscribe to maybe it's actually alternate realities that are bleeding into each other um I, i'm i'm more with the dream thing the way the way it fantasizes everything for just in the direction of her character and the way that people she didn't like people that harmed her are getting treated like shit in the dream it just it makes it feel like it is her fantasy as opposed to yeah i don't think there's anything that points to tell me it has to be an alternate reality hmm I don't recall anything anyway. Like dream was was something I did consider. It is the whole thing is very dreamlike anyway. There's a lot of ethereal music and soft synths, kind of just slowly over everything. Yeah, and it, uh, there's, there's one or two moments where I can see. All right, I can kind of see where the alternate reality ideas maybe maybe coming in a little bit here. Uh, after after like the, the the box is opened and the the aunt actually comes back into the room as if she never left. That yeah. kind of felt like to me. Oh, maybe this is like an alternate place like once the box has been opened we have went to this alternate reality where we meet Diane yeah. and that and Ruth's still in the apartment because she never left and she's still here but she mm. thought she heard something she, th- she thought she heard the box drop yeah. to the to the floor If, but again I, I'm just sort of reading to it it's one of the things when you watch this multiple times like every time you sort of come in with right I'm going to look for these new ideas and I'm going to look for mm. these new things that add up uh but for me, the, the, the last chunk of the movie actually works for me. It gives the rest of the movie meaning. It makes everything, especially on a rewatch, everything has more meaning when you watch it again throughout. Yeah, I can say that. In the context of what it means to her and why it is this way. There's some things that stick out very differently. There's a scene early on with uh, 
two men in diner, and the, the man's talking about how he keeps having. He's had this dream twice. Yeah, and I'll put a lot of into that. Actually, like, was there two dreams in this movie? Has she had mm. this dream twice? Okay, I think okay. you know. Are these characters talking about that? And it's it's a really good scene on its own, but it introduces the idea of the monster behind the yeah behind the diner, and he has a heart attack when he sees him, and there's a lot, a lot of details. It introduces the waitress as well, who we see a couple of more times with different names. I might I add, but yeah. the fact that uh, the last time we see her is when it's uh, Diane getting the hitman, and she sees the the waitress's name's Betty. It's like, well, was did she used to be a waitress when she was struggling to make it in Hollywood? Or is it just a simple case of this waitress is probably a struggling actress herself because she's an, a waitress in Hollywood? And that's... Yeah. Kind of those, it's very cliche, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's, that, it's those kind of ideas. Everything... There's so many little details that connect in the... If we're call, you know, I'm going to call it the dream portion of the movie. Just well, I think we, we have to just stick with something yeah, for the sake of talking about it. Yeah, to subscribe to that idea. Uh, something as simple as the, the cappuccino... Or the, the espresso mug that is a uh, when when the director's been like he's, when we first meet him he's in this meeting it's a very very cold boardroom he's he's got a random golf club on the yeah on the table and these really intimidating uh, two men come in and they're like this is the girl and this is them forcing but one of the key points of that scene is that he insists on an on an espresso and they bring him an espresso and he takes a sip and he spits it all out but later on at the, the dinner party where you know at, at the director's house from Holland Drive in the real world we see uh, Betty slash Diane drinking out of this exact same espresso and she even looks across the room and we see one of the one of the, the evil looking businessmen yeah so and the cowboy I haven't talked about the cowboy yet <laughs> but <laughs> um, but no, there's so many little connective things between both parts, and I think it's an extremely rewarding watch. Uh, so it's extremely rewarding rewatch. Mm, okay. And I it always, and I have, I haven't even get into my my thoughts on the blue box and the Silencio house. And there, honestly, there's literally there's entire websites devoted to just exploring. I'm sure there is meanings of different things in this movie. And there's like opposing theories. There's all sorts of things and. Uh, it's hard for me to talk about them with, or talk about my own thoughts without, ha- like having read a lot of things, taking bits from here or there, and mash mash mashing mm. them into my own thing because it's, it's been a long time. But that's uh, that's any more thoughts from from you before we start digging into specific things, maybe? No, all of that kind of makes sense. There, there's, as like I said, I was I was feeling dreams. It was very dreamlike the whole way. And when you got to the the box, dream did spring to mind because I I, I didn't feel there was anything else that it could have been that that made sense for me. Hmm. Maybe on the realities, if I went and looked for that, I don't know. But dream was the obvious one that that stood out. Yeah, but unlike you know, because obviously you have the like, oh, and it was all a dream ending, which people mock for obvious reasons. But this is different in that sense because the entire point is that everything in the dream world is actually an effect of what's going on in reality. Normally it's a cop-out because it's just an excuse for... To reset the, the status yeah, quo. Usually, a cheap twist. Yeah. But here it's not. Here it's, we've learned so much and then it's like, no, that's not real. This is what's real. And everything everything in that dream part is as a result of something that's going on in the, in the yeah, real world. Yeah, and, and as I said, it, is, it was things like uh, the waitress name tag saying Betty. It's like, okay, so that's where the name came from. That's 
where that's come from. And it's that sort of thing that makes me think, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> where to begin? Uh, another small point, uh, she mentions, uh, Diane mentions when she's very awkwardly telling her life story at the dinner party at the end, she mentions she moved to uh, Los Angeles after winning a Jitterbug competition, which is actually the dancing at the start of the film. That's the, the opening. That makes sense. You have to wait, like, two plus hours to learn what the hell that dancing was. Yeah. And if you've forgotten about it, you'd probably even piece it together. But it's there. She, she won a Jitterbug competition. That makes sense. Yeah. And the film even ends. Obviously, the, the final shot is the blue-haired woman from Silencio, but it even ends with the... Uh, her happy face leaving the airport or not even leaving the airport she's with uh, with Rita slash Camilla uh, but she's looking happy and it's it's all sort of white and it's, it's over the, the darkness of the city and the, the you know the themes yeah. playing and it's it's like that's what the movie's all about it's about her her dreams and maybe also her her inability to face reality yeah and not accepting what's already kind of in motion I, th- I think that's a big big theme of the movie especially the whole silencio stuff in fact the last word of the world the, the movie silencio it, it cuts to that blue-haired woman who we only seen the one time and she says silencio and the movie fades to black uh, silencio is just spanish for silence and it's nice that you'd have to speak spanish to you know put that together from context oh yeah you can get it from context absolutely it's just uh just, just in case for some reason you didn't yeah yeah piece that that's together. one of those things it's just it's just common sense isn't it yeah but of course, it could also just mean big smelly fish, for all I know. I mean, it sounds like silence, but... Well, yeah, that, that's the thing with, with, with foreign languages. Until I'm told what it means, I assume it's what it sounds like closest yeah. to, to what I know. So in this case, yeah, yeah, yeah. silence. Yeah, it's just, I think that's why they never have to tell you that, because they assume that everyone will do that. So, blue-haired woman, there's a lot of weird theories about who she actually is. I don't have anything to say who she is specifically. Some people say, oh, it's like really Aunt Ruth, or it's really someone else, it's really the devil, or it's really the, I don't know, the, the it's actually the monster behind the diner, but in like her purest form, or right. something insane like that. But for me, what, what that whole that whole thing is, is the, the whole idea of the silence is that refusing to face reality, and that whole idea of, because they, they go there, like, uh, Rita gets the... Just in the middle of the night, it's after they have sex, it's after the love scene. Mm. She she gets this silencio, she starts muttering in Spanish and yeah. whatever, and she's like, oh, we need to go somewhere right now. So they go to silencio, which is this, this theatre, and they go in to sit down, and there's like a, I don't even know what you call him, he's some guy on stage, <laughs> talking. It's like a presenter almost. Yeah, maybe, but he's speaking gibberish almost. But what he's saying actually makes a lot of sense if you're listening to it. He's he's speaking about uh, reality and illusion. He's he's talking about because he starts what, what you see is not yeah. actually what's there. Because he starts saying it's all recordings, it's all fake. Which all, not only does it work for the the theme of the movie and it's all a dream, it works for Hollywood as well. You know the whole idea of smoke and mirrors, everything's yeah. fake. It's it's all made up. It's not real. And he's like, yeah, it's all like here's a flute and you hear a flute and you here's a Real I believe life. it was it was it was clarinet, then trombone, and then a muted trumpet. And the guy walks out playing the muted trumpet, and he's, he's and playing it, and then, he, and then he stops, and it keeps playing. He's like, yeah. "It's all a recording; it's not real." And this is where the dream ends. And there's a lot of stuff that happens here. This is when she actually 
during the the singer, she looks into her bag and that's where the blue cube just appears. And blue's a, a big theme in this movie. The, the cube's blue, the key's blue, blue-haired woman. The uh, the theatre gets bathed in blue light mm. uh, a couple of times. And it's basically, the, the idea of the cube is essentially the gateway to reality. Or it's the her secrets, her reality in the box that she's keeping yeah, away. it's 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 kind of it's, it's a metaphor you see a lot in mm. film and TV and literature of you always have something in your mind or a place where you keep things locked away. The truth, yeah. where you're, when you're hiding something from yourself, it's locked in a room or it's locked in a, a box. In this case, and the the whole thing about the scene is this is the end of the dream. This is everything's telling her this is the end. Of, that's why she starts reacting so violently during the. Uh, during the singing, she starts like freaking out. She starts spasming, and she's like, yeah. she can't take it. And they go back home, and she disappears before the before Rita puts the key in. Hmm. And it's like she's already left because maybe she's woken up, and it's she puts the key in, and that's when we leave, and the box falls to the floor. Just uh, on Silencio, uh, silence itself is a massive thing in this movie. Mm. There are so many times where it is just it plays with silence as such a, a an important theme. Uh, one moment that really stands out is when uh, Betty first enters the apartment. Uh, you know where she finds the the clothes on yeah, the floor, yeah. and like that whole thing is utter silence. Her footsteps are so quiet, and it's not until when she goes in and sees her in the shower that the, that a little bit of like sound comes in. Mm. But go go with this whole idea of like fake and the movies and all that. Even Rita doesn't know her name. She takes her name from a Rita Hayworth poster that's on the wall, which she sees in a mirror. Like again, smoking yeah. mirrors. That whole that whole idea. And speaking of smoking mirrors, the the the, the shot uh, the end with the the self shooting it, is just the room fills with smoke. It fills with yeah, literally the the, the, the entire. It feels room. very very theatre and pantomime almost the way it fills yeah. with the smoke with the the kind of the greeny bluey lights coming through it. Yeah, again, blue playing a big role. Yeah. Uh, and we see the monster again, and it's sort of imposed over the the blue curtain of the the theater. It goes to the theater. As uh, the monster, because is the homeless monster? I mean, I, I don't really know who that's supposed to be specifically. Is that also the gatekeeper? Is that someone who is mm. it just a representation of facing your own reality? And that's why it kills. Uh, I think Dan's his name, the guy who dies early on. I'll be honest, I did not remember his name. I don't. I'm not surprised. He's not exactly uh, super memorable, but there's actually there's a lot of cool little tidbits that let you that tease the yeah. ending as well. Uh, you actually you can figure out that Betty or, or Diane rather put out the hit on Camilla, Camilla slash Rita. Yeah, because earlier on in the film, there's a scene where uh, it's all these phone calls and they keep phoning like it's like oh the girl's not found she's she's still out there somewhere and mm. the guy hears it and he, he phones his boss he phones uh the little guy who's from twin peaks yeah uh, and then we see them phone somewhere else and we see the phone we see an ashtray we see a red lamp yes red lamps are a big theme as well there's a lot of red lamps in the yeah movie. there's a lot of red lamps and uh we don't see anyone answer it though we see it ring and we don't we come back to it but it's not until the end of the movie when we go to reality and we see diane answer that phone it's her phone so there's actually there's a connective thing in there that lets you know even before we get to the you know, the mm. actual hiring of the hitman that that makes sense that uh, that it's her. Oh, I I didn't catch that one. Yeah, I I don't think it was something I caught the first time. I think that was something that I've on repeat viewings. Yeah, yeah where, where I've been paying attention for the little. This is things. this is one of the things where I'm 
feel a little awkward because there's only so much you can contribute, I think, having only seen it once. So I, I can give my viewpoints of how it's affected me differently, of course. Mm. But well, there, there are the small things that it's almost impossible to catch like that when you don't know what you're looking for. Well, let, let, let's leave interpretation for a minute then. Let's just talk about basic scene to scene in like. Yeah, I think I think you would agree that it's there's a great sense of uh, foreboding and oh, definitely the mystery and the unfolding of the events. There's also a lot of humor. The, the, there's the, a, very, a lot of very dark humor with the, the hitman. The hitman scene uh, yeah. where he actually he ha- he accidentally has to kill two extra people. Yeah, uh, and I, again, he his two scenes are very weird and kind of almost out of place compared to everything. All on the fact that we see him at the end and we know that she's hiring a hitman. And we know he's looking for, thing, and it's it, you wonder if like as the first person he kills, is that meant to represent the director? Like he, he's killed yeah. the first person that he's supposed to kill, and then he's, and then he's, it got messy, and then it got messy, and he's looking for the other one. Like is, is that what that represents? Because we only see two scenes with him, and then he's gone for a long time. Mm. It, it was that scene did stick out as strange for a lot of the movie for me because it felt so unconnected. Well, there's part there's. Perhaps a reason for that, which I don't know if you're aware of this. Did you know this was originally uh, shot as a TV pilot? I did. Uh, I, I did hear originally before that, because this is things I've... This is what, Even though I've not watched this movie, mm. I've kind of heard bits about it over the years, because it's quite a famous movie. I heard it was meant to be a, a spin-off from Twin Peaks originally. Yeah, I think it was shot as that. No, but originally yeah. in the scripting stage, I believe uh, uh, Rita was supposed to be Audrey. Oh, right, okay. That doesn't shock me. No, <laughs> you can kind of see it, can't you? doesn't shock me. Uh, but, no, it was shot as a, a potential pilot, and yeah. the, the networks all turned it down. And I, I can't understand why. I, I can see them looking at some of this and going, no, no one's going to follow this. As much as I would love to see Mulholland Drive, the series. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I'd have enjoyed it much more as a TV series. You think? I think there are a lot of things like that that would have been... Much more fascinating to see explored over twenty odd episodes. I think I think it'd have been easier to swallow on the first time because you you have time between things. You really think about them. You talk about mm. it between episodes, all that. But for me, I'm so happy this exists. And but even though it is so much to take in the first time, it's such a fascinating puzzle to keep going back to and to keep mm. thinking about and to keep reading into it. Uh, and it, it plays it's such a it's really weird to think that there could have been a TV show with Naomi Watts and Laura Haring that, that played out yeah. for a season or two seasons or whatever but it is things like those Hitman scenes where I'm, feel, I'm assuming your point was they, they feel like leftovers from, from it, the yeah they feel like it was going to be a subplot that would keep running like, maybe it would only be two scenes but we'd have two scenes an episode until yeah and, and that's later. why I say I think I'd have preferred it like that because I feel like those things I didn't get enough of to understand to get a real grasp on it it's it's weird because i i will never say i'll prefer it as a tv show because i love the movie too much to say that i'm not going to say that i'm not curious or that i wouldn't want it it's kind of a win-win in a weird way to yeah, me yeah yeah but that that is the one thing that does stick out to me is this feels like scenes that were there because it was a tv show that was being set up for future episodes and what really fascinates me is I don't know if he's ever come out and said this, but I know he said, wait, I'm going to give it an ending and it'll be a movie. And he you yeah. know, went and turned it into a movie. What I really wonder is, to what extent was was that changed from what the plan was in the show? Was like, 
Was that going to be the twist or the reveal That's, at the end of the season? You're assuming he had one in mind when he was going for it. Of course he did. He's a mastermind. I don't know. I like. I think he makes a lot of it up as he goes along. Not to say it doesn't work, but I think, I think he may not have had that specific ending in mind at all when it was a TV show. I don't. I, he I may don't have. Know if, yeah. He might have, but, but I still. I also think he might have kind of made it up as he went along and would have got something completely different. Having said that, though, I do think a lot of the scenes in the dream section are very intentionally dreamlike. Yeah. Where I think maybe they reshot them when they when if he did change his mind of what the ending was, I don't know. But for me, those are fully intentional as to where the end's going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's the thing. We don't know how much was reshot, how much was just pilot stuff. You know, it's, it's hard to tell. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's like a, a definitive list that actually just just tells you what was. Originally. I doubt there is. Probably not, knowing how he likes to keep things close to the chest. Yeah, exactly. Well, before we tangented into more exploration of, of ideas and stuff, we were talking about just the sort of the general direction and entertainment value <laughs> of the scenes to scenes. We kind of got off track on that one a little bit, didn't we? We, we mentioned that the, the, the Hitman scene was funny, and then we went down a rabbit hole of, oh, it was going to be a TV pilot, didn't you know? And we went down that yeah, yeah, yeah. place, uh, which is very easy to do. But no, um, no I think there's... I think all the key players are all very entertaining and they're all hmm. entertaining in very different ways and and like I say that, that first scene with Naomi Watts it feels like the acting is bad but not in a bad way like bad in a this is intentionally supposed to be the cheesy yeah. stereo this is something that only Lynch, Lynch does this like no one else does he gives you a scene which is the stereotype that is the cheesy thing that you've seen a million times but when you're watching it you know that this is through the lens of Yes, this is this cheesy stereotype. It's supposed to be the cheesier stereotype, and you're it's supposed very to self-aware of it. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to recognize it's a cheesy stereotype because the entire point of the scene is it's a cheesy stereotype. Yeah, but you, you're never. There's no doubt at all that that's what it is. There's no doubt mm. that it's self-aware. You know instantly that it is this cheesy stereotype, and it knows it is. Yeah, which is followed by the very ominous scene of the two old people who she's talking to in the car afterwards, just smiling at each other and. As if they've just sent her to her death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which they which they may very well have. Uh, do you want to know what the po- well? I don't know if it's a popular interpretation. It's the one that I always remember of of the the old couple. Parents. And uh, no, actually, huh? uh, it's okay. actually the director and Camilla as old people getting revenge. Oh, okay. And the the idea is that, that that scene mirrors the scene at the end at Mulholland Drive where she's just with Camilla and then the man comes in and takes Camilla away. And the right. idea is, is that it kind of... Cause it, you know how she's come down the escalator with, with the old woman and then the old man comes in and then, when they're outside and takes, yeah. takes her away. And it's all very pleasant, obviously, but the scene at the end, Camilla takes her up the hill and it's all romantic and you can see mm. the, the love in her eyes and then... She gets to the top, and then there he is. Yeah. Takes her away. Uh, and it's the theory that it's like the... I don't know if you want to call them the spirits or whatever, or just the interpretation of them in our dream coming for revenge because she had them both killed. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to argue with that. I, I just went with parents at first glance because I wasn't entirely sure. I was like, okay, that well, I could see how it could have been. Well, yeah, they're obviously not our actual parents, though. Well, yeah, yeah, but like yeah. A, a representation of them. Mm. Again, they're not. It, it never, they, they never felt like they were physically there at the, the ending. So it was always like a, a representation of. 
Oh yeah, yeah. at the end when because like, they come out the, the little bag from the, the homeless monster drops out of the blue yeah. box. Uh, again, it's that idea of reality's coming to face her. Like reality is coming to get her. Yeah. And so I, I guess in a weird way you could argue that it's when she's like. <sighs> Well, because she's not actually asleep when they come in, but I suppose you could maybe think of it as it's they come out the box and come for her while she's dreaming, and that's when she is forced to kill herself. If she does kill herself, I mean, it's... yeah, I mean that's a whole other question, isn't it? Yeah, but you could you could also argue that this whole thing's very cyclical and it's it's constantly going to play a loop. Like, let's say she's in purgatory, and it's just yeah, the, yeah, it's like the ideal turning into the nightmare of reality, and then it's just going to keep going and going. Yeah, that Cause, was because the whole idea that, uh, that in the dream they find the corpse of Diane, yes, and in, in the apartment, like the idea that it's just going to keep going round and round like that. Maybe, maybe she's in hell because that was something that crossed my mind while I was watching. I said that to the camera. I was like, maybe they're all just dead. I was just like, that'll that'll do it. They're all just dead. <laughs> so all may believe nothing. Nothing's happening. It's fine. It, it was something I did toss out almost jokingly, but as a I mean, could be. Which uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, as long as there's layers there where everything actually means something. And I think that uh, uh, that would not, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. work against that. Like you say, purgatory or even hell as as a punishment. It's, it's kind of a cruelish punishment, isn't it? Give you give you what you want and then yeah. take it away. That's that's probably worse than never having it in the first place. Surely, punish for what though? Well, that's that's something entirely different, isn't it? That's that's the the real question. Hmm. Or maybe it's just her own personal hell because she's been punished for silence. She's been punished for the for not yeah. solving her problem, not facing reality, staying quiet about her problems in her life. Uh, I, I think some people even speculated that there's like even more specific stuff she's silent about. Right. Because uh, uh, Lynch uh, gave a ho- he didn't want to, but he was like forced to give a bunch of clues <laughs> about the movie. So he gave out ten clues to unlock the true meaning of Mulholland Drive. Uh, they're very cryptic, and one of them was uh, "Where's Aunt Ruth?" Because people have pointed out over the years that there's actually a lot of there's a lot of like redheaded old women with scarfs on, like kind of kicking around at various mm. points. And again, coming back to that scene where she comes in after the blue box is dropped, and yeah. like, what what does that actually mean? Like, uh, is because she says, in, in the real world, she says that our aunt our aunt died and she left her money, and people have speculated that it's silence something to do with their past like why was she with her aunt was mm. she abused by her parents or something like that and i've never thought too deeply into that end of it but again if you play with the whole idea of silence and uh not not facing reality and your demons are taking over yeah i can see where it would fit in oh it does make sense it's like it was some of the question i like where where was she just because it's like it felt weird just she, she was filming a movie in canada well, yeah, but I'm just gonna give you give you my give, go go stay in my place, whatever, no problem. Hmm. Yeah, so that's all very convenient because even the way that uh, even the way that Betty reacts to Rita in in the apartment when she finds her and she she just assumes that she knows her aunt and then later on when she finds out in the phone it's like oh I think we must understood I must understood you like you you don't know my aunt she never reacts like like you. I think most people would react with some fear or some, okay, who are you? What are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, you know, e- it was, e- even if it is Laura Haring. Yeah, you still question it, don't you? Still question it. Sure, Laura Haring's naked in my shower. 
cha-ching, but I'm still going to be like, why did you break into this house? You're not meant to be here. Yeah. So something's Trouble is afoot. There, there was things like that, and um, how, she, how uh, before she went for the audition, she just seemed to have the audition. It's all very convenient in that sense. It just worked out. She arrived, she's got this audition. You know, she's got the, the pages faxed over. It's like, okay. Actually, I kind of want to stop using the word dream, because to me that feels disingenuous. I think the word fantasy is much more okay applicable. That's that's fair. Uh, mainly just because everything is a form of fantasy for her. Every, everything in this in this fantasy world is yeah. That, that's kind of what I'm saying. Everything kind of yeah. just falls into a lap, doesn't it? Like yeah. like having her just in the apartment. The, the, the having having who, the apartment in the first place. The, lo- the love of her life, who is a damsel in distress, who needs her to take care of her, and then they have yeah. that. That her very career, like her career, the auditions, it's just the it auditions. falls into a lap out of nowhere, seemingly. Like I don't think we ever hear where she gets the audition. Like she just has the audition. Yeah, she just has the audition. Uh, you know, Coco, the the landlord, says, "Oh, I'm giving you the script uh, that you've got an audition." That's for, what I mean. But... It just it just literally comes out of nowhere. Yeah, very much like in a dream where things just happen. You don't which question it, it. Which is kind of how you can explain loose ends because dreams also have lots of loose ends. And actually, one of the one of the theories I've seen people say is that the entire thing is a dream. And the explanation for that is that in dreams, and I know I've had this in dreams, where people who start off as one person will morph into another. Yeah. And, you know, the location you're in will suddenly change to a new location. And, like, that is actually a big part of dreams. Like, I feel like that's... That is, yeah. I feel like that's one of the most common things that most people share in dreams is that the details always change about halfway through. Like, you don't, you don't question it. You don't question you, it, yeah. you, you, you just go with it because it's a... I mean, you don't. You obviously don't know it's a dream, but you just it just happens. Things just change. You're just somewhere else. I often think, especially with these movies, because they're they're even more sort of cerebral than the than like Twin Peaks is, at least so far. We've we've only just got towards the end of season one so far, but he like his movies are kind of like Lynch's only like his own demented dreams. Like it's mm. kind of what it feels like. It feels like he's had a dream and he's he's written it down and he's given it meaning. He's like, okay, right, here's the themes, here's what the characters represent, and. Uh, but he doesn't tell us that. He, he He's a big proponent of letting the film speak for himself, right down to the fact that he won't let his Blu-rays and DVDs have chapter selection. Yeah. It's a strange choice. It is strange. He never does commentaries. He, he does interviews, but he never does commentary tracks. He, he's not a fan of that kind I of thing. I can respect that. That one. Yeah. I, I'm um, a fan of commentary tracks, but I, I get it. Like I get why that, some... That's the thing. The chapter one seems... That, that one's just a little bit too far. That's just inconveniencing. <laughs> it is a bit inconvenient. You know, commentary tracks, I get that. Yeah. I, I think it's almost a, a wish not to have it picked apart in the way that you can just go to a specific scene and analyse the scene. Like, if you're going to experience it, you have to experience the whole demented dream and you will like it. I think that, that what annoys me about that, though, is anyone who wants to go to a specific bit and instead of, if, without chapter select, will just fast forward or rewind. Like, they'll, they'll do it oh, manually course. if yeah. they want to. All you're doing is inconveniencing them. Hmm. No, no, yeah. I, that's true. But no, actually, Joe, Joe, I really love see the love scene. Uh, yeah, I, I like everything about it. I like how it all, all builds up and it. The, the way Betty's like, oh, I just came out of the bed. I mean, it's a big bed. You, you can, and it's, it seems all innocent and all the rest of it. And she's like the innocent, you know, out of town girl. And yeah, they have their moment. I love the line in that where Betty says, "Have you ever done this before?" And Rita, because she has amnesia, says, "I don't know." Yeah. It was I, it was it was always line. amusing to me though because I said I don't know out loud before she said it because it's like well that's the only answer it could possibly be. I love that. There's something about that I love though. I love that line like because obviously she's talking about being with a woman. She's talking about yeah. having a lesbian les- lesbian sex, and she's like I don't know. 
Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Could have done it every day of my life for all I know. Well, yeah, not, not every day. Not maybe, life, but, yeah. you, you know, you, exaggeration there. Yeah, but, you know, just just something about that I love I love that response and it does make it feel endlessly romantic and it does the music everything about it uh, I, I love this obviously them mocking up the hill as well the same theme yeah. comes in just the, the shots turn from her leading her up the hill and them looking at each other and it almost makes Camilla feel like a right bitch when they get to the top and it's like they're being deceitful like her, her and the director or mm. you know her and Adam are just being so manipulative and they're rubbing their, their happiness in her face and it, it it's they they almost earn the the, the assassination <laughs> to an extent maybe not quite but they are pretty That's awful still quite harsh but I, I think the whole point is is it represents the the monster that is the the film industry and Los Angeles and the it's, it has a lot of similar themes actually to the Neon Demon if if anyone's seen that reference film from last year which I also loved by the way uh, I still haven't gone around to that one. Uh, very different. That he, he's also a very art house director, but a very different type of art house. He, he's very slow and plodding in like nice long takes and shots. I like Reffin. I love, I love Reffin. Uh Whereas Lynch obviously is more, uh, more like being injected right into your brain. So it's like just <laughs> here. It's like if if Reffin is a if Reffin's a fancy cappuccino that's got a very artistic twist to it compared to a regular cup of coffee lunch is like downing like 10 espressos in one go and like seeing what acid trip you go on <laughs> like yeah, yeah my metaphor got away from me there but i think you, you get what i'm going for i i, I think so yeah what, what one's more of a slow saver every last second and then Lynn, not that Lynch you don't save her every last second you do but it's, it's more like, Here, here's 10 Red Bulls down your throat yeah he, here's like 50 million ideas that it could be and you'll never know what it is because I'm crazy <laughs> but I love I it. love the idea that for so I mean I'm sure he does know every time but I'm sure there's just one of his films where he's like I don't even know the answer to this one. And he's just—that's what and he just loves the idea that he, he can get away with not knowing mm. because because he doesn't have to tell anyone because he's got that reputation. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a troll behind there who does like, like. I don't think he'll do that with his old films, but I do genuinely think there'll be one or two little things they'll put in. It's just like this doesn't mean anything. I'm just I'm putting <laughs> the director's got a golf club for no reason. It's just there because people are going to read into it, and that's that's funny. Well, that was just him smashing the car was the. Jack Nicholson, isn't it? <laughs> Explain. Yeah, yeah, the the famous thing where Jack Nicholson took right, the golf yeah, club okay, and smashed yeah. the car. It's just a reference to that, is what I felt. I didn't think it had anything. Oh, sure, sure. It, I guess it's just a personification of something specific from Hollywood. It's just, yeah. Here's something you've heard of from. Yeah, that, I thought that's what it was meant to be, personally. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can see that, and I never thought of that. I'd forgotten that had happened, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a reasonable, reasonable estimate. Oh, and I guess you could argue that the you know the little guy in the really dark office with the red curtains, you know, very Twin Peaks yeah. by the way. It was, and <laughs> I noticed that as well. You know, Hard not to notice when we're watching it at, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I know, I know. But that that we have that, and then look the the henchmen that come and talk. You could almost argue that this is all like is this the dark side of Diane's brain working away? Mm. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm guessing that's maybe what, what, what that. Could Just all something represent. that interests me in this in this fantasy. So we got it that the the director's life went to shit, mm-hmm. and his wife's cheating on him, and then the big guy 
comes up to to the house. Yes. Right, looking for him. Oh yeah, yeah right, yeah. And he kind of knocks out uh, the 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 wife and, and the and the guy. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, the pool guy and the wife. Yeah. By the way, just just to before we go, I love the scene where he comes home and finds her with the the, the, the pill guy, and how she's pissed at him for coming home when he's not meant to be home. Yeah, and it amused me that I, I wasn't expecting Billy Ray Cyrus in it. Right, and and uh, he's just like, just forget you saw it. It's for the best. Yeah, and then she kicks him out of his own home. <laughs> but what, where I'm going is I, okay. This is fantasy wish fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. Why then does someone come and take them out of the equation? I'm thinking. I, I, I get that. I, I just it, It's something that occurred to me. It's like, it a very funny, offbeat, another one of those dark humour moments. Hmm. But I don't get the purpose of it in, in context of everything else that we've spoken about. Maybe this is one of those things where, it, where let's just put it in. Well, I guess it ties into, because we know that there are the people who want them, you know, these brothers, these evil businessmen who want them to cast the Camilla, the blonde Camilla yeah. of the fantasy world. And the movie, they'll try to find them because like, eventually the, the cowboy like sends yes. after him, and he goes to see the cowboy up and up in the the ranch or the corral up on top of the the hills. Mm. I thought that was very interesting, actually. Go on, because obviously the that ends with the cowboy saying, "Oh, if you do this, and it goes to plan, you'll see me one more time. If you don't, you'll see me twice more." And they never meet again, as far as I'm aware. I feel I took that as him talking to us because we see him twice more. We see him twice more. Yeah. We see him exactly twice more. We do, yeah. Which I noticed, but I thought it was interesting that they they never met. Hmm. I don't know. But uh, it is very apparent that we do see him twice more, because we see him... He actually pops in uh, and says, tells Diane it's time to wake up, just before yeah. she wakes up uh, from the dream, uh, from the fantasy. And then we see him again. He just, he just walks past at the dinner party. He's there. Mm. It's very noticeable, though, isn't it? Well, he's William Sadler in a cowboy hat. He can't him. miss it, yeah. With, like, no eyebrows. Uh, but, uh... Actually, again, it's another scene. It's like, Lynch is a great way of just making scenes in and of themselves very entertaining, because you'll have a character being very weird. The, the, way he, the way the cowboy talks, the way the cowboy is like, would you agree that a man's attitude is reflective no, of... definitely. And this is what I was getting at the very start of, of this review when I said... I very, very much enjoyed like the first, what, four-fifths of this. And even the last part, I enjoyed separately. But I wasn't sure how I felt about it overall. Because individually, in every scene, I'm just like, oh, this is great. I'm loving watching the this conversation or whatever is going on on the screen. It's always got me completely captivated. Hmm. Uh, how about the scene where Betty does go to the audition and she auditions with the older man and they have this... And suddenly her acting is phenomenal. And suddenly her acting is phenomenal, yeah. Because obviously this comes after the practice scene where it's very, very wooden. Yeah, very terrible. Which, by the way, the script they're holding in that, that scene is the script for Mahon Drive. Of course it is. Uh, now, now that it's in HD, you can you can actually you can make out the names in the script are Betty and Rita. <laughs> why not? Why why get another prop when you can just go, hey... I know, so I know. <laughs> it's just funny because you can clearly see it says Betty and, <laughs> Betty and Rita and it just makes yeah. me laugh. I was like, oh man, great, I've seen where we're supposed to be holding a script. How how rare do we get this chance to not learn our lines? This is great. <laughs> Bet she loved it. Ah, oh, but uh, again, that scene, that scene with she auditioned is always, is, is, 
awkward but great at the same time. That like it's. It is awkward because you're like, this feels like she's being manipulated and, and almost on the edge of being abused. Yeah, which maybe ties into the whole maybe she was abused. Uh, when she, cause, right. Because the uh, the producer, I'm assuming it was, the, the old guy who sort of comes in with her and he introduces just everyone, he's constantly got his hand around her and he's, so you can sort of yeah. see it. And then when she's doing the scene with the old guy and he's like, Esther, that's close, and he pulls her in and they end it up It feels kissing. like it's going to go very almost uh, casting couch, so to speak. Uh, yeah, and she even like puts his hand on her ass. It's like, no, let's do it properly. Let's, if we're going to go for it, we're going to go for it all the way. Yeah. And they kiss and they, they all applaud her and it, it feels like almost like an acceptance that to be successful she has to... But it's strange because at the same time, it is a completely hypnotic scene. Like her acting is fantastic. Like you, you oh, feel yeah. the same way everyone else in that room does because we don't see them during it. It focuses just in on the two. Oh, of them. very, very tight two shots. Very tight. Up. You can't yeah. see anything else. And you can't see anyone else's reaction. You get it afterwards, but it's the same way that we are as uh, we are as everyone else in that room, just transfixed on that moment. Nothing else. Even though in, in the back of your head, you're like, this feels uncomfortable because of what's going on. Which is, is very good directing, by the way. It's very good uh, mm. choice to again. It makes you feel like everyone else in the room. They're just sucked into what's happening in front of them. That the they don't, and it makes us feel that way. It makes us feel like them. So it's yeah. it's, it's good uh, character to viewer relations. Yeah. So uh, that's that's really really good. Um, has your opinion of the the last part of the film result- changed at all in the last? 50 minutes or however long we've been talking talking through it has helped I, st- I still think I feel in a way similar to how I did after we spoke about Unbreakable where <laughs> no, 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 no spoilers in the sense of that but just mm. in the sense that I, I knew how I felt going in and talking through as often does with we do all the time with the TV reviews especially yeah. with something that's quite heady where I, I appreciate it more after talking about it and that's definitely the case here but at the same time, I feel like I I won't fully enjoy it on the same level as as perhaps expected until I watch it again down the line and and, and see how it feels then. Very possibly, very possibly. Uh, I mean, there's so many little things we could even try and dig into more. Uh, I feel like, like like I said, there's websites and websites filled with various theories. Some that yeah. Some that click together, some that contradict each other, some that do this and do that. And we're never going to cover everything in one in a, in a simple, it's kind of impossible isn't single it? video. Uh, but for me, obviously, I love exploring the ideas. I love talking about the themes and the character motivations and how the 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 one reality affects the other reality, whether it is a fantasy or a dream or or not. Yeah, I mean, it still could physically be an alternate reality. I mean, the one that bit as we've been talking about that does play into that idea most is them coming out of the box at the end together yeah that kind of plays into no that is a physical like she is somehow impacting both realities so it's a revenge plot there if if you even take that at face value as if it exists i don't know if i do like i feel like i feel like the monster behind the, the diner is another representation of her yeah yeah that is assuming that you're you're taking it as that mm. that happens yeah, uh, which it's just. Uh, it, I I also just I find it just on a pure entertainment level, like very much like Lynch's other work, very hypnotic, very engrossing. You're constantly, engro- you know, engrossed on what the characters are doing. 
if it's weird, you're you're not going, oh, this is weird and stupid. What's going on? You're like, this is weird. Why is it doing this? You're fascinated by it. At least I am. And... No, no, that, that's that's what I was saying. Like, even though I wasn't sure how I felt about it overall, I knew I'd enjoyed watching it because every scene I was just completely sucked in. It was hypnotic is a great word. Yeah, very hypnotic. I think I think that yeah. that sums it up. And I do I do genuinely feel like repeat viewings completely uplift it. Like completely. Oh, I feel like they probably will. Like it's this is one of those where the first, there's only so much you can take in on a first viewing. So I do feel like I need to watch it again. Not right now. I'm gonna let, let it breathe for a little bit, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But at some point, I want to revisit it and notice things and see it. You know, knowing knowing what I do from the ending and knowing where it's going, see what it how it plays that way. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think we're done. I don't think I've got much more I want to unless you've got anything else you want to talk about specifically no, just the, um, the music is fantastic at oh, every it's, point oh, it's, fuck, it's brilliant yeah and also playing into the, the, the silence is, is the lack of music the, yeah. the, one, the other scene that really got me with the lack of music was um, the, the hitman's failed you know his, his, his assassinations oh, it makes it goes, hilarious as well it does it's when he goes in and starts beating the woman there is absolutely no music. There's just the exaggerated uh, sound effects of of the punches. And honestly, I don't think I I laugh as much as I sometimes. Like, obviously, I laugh in all the movies, but very few comedies can get me to laugh the same way. The moment when like so he brings the woman in and he shoots her, and then he the the janitor who happened to see some of this comes in as well. He shoots him, and it's just as the 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 whoever the vacuum cleaner starts to spark. I'm like, it's about to start a fire. And the alarms, yeah. the, the smoke alarm, the fire alarm starts going off, and I just started burst, pissing myself laughing. It's just so funny. The the other bit that really got me is after he shoots the one through the wall and he goes in, she says something bit me. <laughs> the idea that she's so fat, <laughs> yeah. it just felt like something bitter. <laughs> that cracked me up to no end. But like I said, that whole bit plays without music, and it mm. makes it so surreal because we expect music in these bits in films because they are a barrier to reality. They make us aware that it's not real. But in this time, it made it feel less real because of that. Now that you're saying that, I'm wondering if, like, whenever Betty and Diane, or not Diane, Betty and Rita, it's, mm. it's confusing having two characters who have both have two names. It is. I'm, I'm wondering if, whenever it breaks away from them to like other characters, like how, how is it shot differently? How is it? Is the music intentionally different? Mm. You know, the hip, every time we see the hitman, is, is there no music? There's only two scenes, but I don't think there was music in either of I them. I don't recall either of them having music. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... Is it perhaps... Uh, obviously, we cut away to other characters that do have music. We have characters... You know, we, we talked about how the the little guy and all of his evil henchmen who are trying to, like, force this actress on the director. There's music with them, but I speculated that they represent, like, the dark inner workings of the revenge in our mind. Yeah, if, if that's where we're going with that, so we still get music because it's part of her. That's actually it worked there. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the hitman is completely separate. It's actually you could almost argue that the, the scenes with the hitman aren't even in the fantasy. They're just they could be reality. They yeah. could just be in reality. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that that was something I noticed. There. It was something that the, the other thing that makes it seem weird then is, is why would he be asking after Rhea? Well, we don't know for sure, because he, oh, he never true. says a name. He just says he's looking for a dark-haired woman. That's true. That's, that's all he true. says. So, 
we ran into that, and you remembered that as like setting a stone fact, and uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, and you could argue that even the scene with the, the Dan who gets killed, he's there with his friend, and he's talking about the dream. And the if we if we go with the idea that the monster behind the behind the diner isn't part of her, it's actually an entity that goes into other dreams or something like that. If we go with that idea, then maybe that scene with Dan is not even in a fantasy either. Maybe that is a separate thing. And when she sees him at the because she's in the diner getting the hitman, and she sees him up at the same spot at the counter where Dan's seen his yeah. friend when he was saying he was scared. Like, that could be, like, a connective thing where the whole the demon thing represents danger. It represents that you're about to end your life, maybe. And this mm. is, like, he, from his story that we've seen a glimpse of in the diner, like, she's seen him for that. Yeah, maybe, like, it's not... The heart attack wasn't caused by seeing the demon. It was he saw it because he was going to have the heart attack. Yeah. That, yeah. that would that'd be interesting to look at it through that lens, I think. Because there, there's definitely no music during the Hitman things. Hmm. Which which does make them feel separate again, and like we said, we, they felt very separate and divorced and everything else. So maybe they are reality the entire time. Possibly, be interesting. Possibly, but that's my whole drive. Uh, I love it. I love it. We do ratings now. We do ratings out of ten. Oh, we do, don't we? We do the ratings out oh, of ten. Oh, I guess I got to think about this now. Yeah, that's going to be a hard one for you. Given what you've said about it, that sounds like it'll be hard for you. For me, it's easy. It, you know what? I feel like my ratings on this show feel almost meaningless at this point because we've done so many of my favourites that I am about to hand out my third 10 out of 10. In, in like, what? Six episodes? Which is ridiculous. I don't give out a lot of 10s. I've given it, like, because I, 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 keep, I keep track of all the movies I watch. I've got a, a, a database. I've given out maybe 25 to 30 10s in my life out of, you know, thousands and thousands of movies. But we've done three of them. <laughs> so far so it sounds like I'm just handing out perfect scores left right and centre you gotta get a reputation if you're not careful I, I know we need to start doing shite we need to start doing we, shite films so do. I can cause it's funny <laughs> look, see, look if you really want to see him give out shite scores go watch Screams After Midnight any of the past like two months worth of films Joe it's funny though I feel like it's a balance the reason why on Screams I'm giving out twos and threes out of ten for the last couple of months is because on this show I'm giving out tens it could well be. It's equilibrium. As soon as we start doing shit in this show, all the horror movies I'm watching on streams are going to start being <laughs> great films. That may well happen. Balance. Oh, I'm really torn. I don't. Know, I don't know where to land on this one. <laughs> hmm. Uh, I'm thinking. Consider your options wisely. Aye. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time I've given lower than you when you gave it a ten. Do you ever see in the film where the cow- the cowboy tells the director tells Adam, when you see the girl they want you to see, you're going to say, <laughs> "Yeah, this is the girl." Mm. Connor, I want you to just re- so when he when he sees sees Camilla doing the singing in the audition and he turns and he says, "This is the girl." Right now, Connor, I want you to say, <laughs> "This is the girl," <laughs> <laughs> and if you do good. You'll see me once more. <laughs> if you do bad, you'll see me twice more. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, no matter what, I'm stuck with you a lot more than twice more. Uh, that's true. Okay, once or twice <laughs> more today. <laughs> that's accurate. No, well, I'm going to start by saying I can't give this a 10 on this first viewing. Of course not. I don't. Hey, look, just because I, I guarantee a movie, especially since all the movies I've given a 10, on this show, none of them are first time watches. They're all stuff I've seen at least several times. 
Yeah. Unbreakable Alien. This I've seen it tons. That's the question. How, but, how many of these three were tens the first time you saw them? Alien, probably. No, probably not. Really? Because I was young. Like, oh, okay. Because I was young, I was like, oh, Aliens is better. It's, it's, this is one's more boring. But right, then, okay. then you grow up and you're not an idiot anymore, and you go, oh, this is actually amazing. What, yeah, it depends on? how long. How, it depends how young you saw that, I guess. Uh, so I seen that a few times before. I, that was considered um, unbreakable. Trend. We spoke about how you definitely didn't because I of, definitely didn't because uh, of when you saw that. And then this, I think this was the closest to being a 10 the first watch, but I don't know if I'd... I, I usually don't commit to a 10 until I've seen something more than once. That's fair. Just to make sure it holds up, make sure I just wasn't in the perfect mood for it to win me over that first time kind of thing. Mm. But, no, nah, no, nah, the, the 10. Uh, but they're all, they're all repeat viewings. They're all stuff that I've, I've given a lot of thought to over time. And... Mm. Uh, the next film we're doing is something I've not seen. I know that for a fact, so that will Actually, be interesting. Yeah, I mean, coming up in the next few films is, I mean, barring the, the Godzilla series that we're doing. Yeah, bar- barring the next Godzilla movie, which is not next, but the one after. Yeah, You've got you've got a couple coming up, I believe, that I you haven't seen before. I'm looking so. forward to some new stuff that I've not seen before. This will be I, exciting. I think it'll be exciting, yeah. But, yeah. but back to my rating, I guess. Hi. I'm torn between an 8 and an 8.5. Kind of sitting around that range. It's like... This feels very safe. It feels like high enough that Peter won't kill me. Well, no. Before, <laughs> before I come in, I, I probably would have gone to 7.5 to an 8. Right, okay. Bearing in mind that I know I'd enjoyed all the scenes while watching them, but I wasn't sure I felt about it overall. So, I, But now I'm, I'm a bit more okay with it. You know, I'm feeling a bit better on, on where it all fits and digest it. Oh, just having time since I've watched it. My brain's kind of digested it a bit in general. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of edging up a bit. So I think I can go with the 8.5. Okay, 8.5. Hmm. That's what you give him breakable as well, actually. This is becoming a trend. Well, you gave, you gave Unbreakable also a 10. So yeah. you, well, maybe we're following the same trends here. Oh, I can't wait until you love something and I get to shit on it. Oh, it's going to happen. I didn't shit on this. <laughs> oh, no, I'm Come kidding. on. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. That, that is Mulholland Drive. Uh, it's in my top like 20, probably maybe even maybe top 10, top 20. I think what is very interesting is mm-hmm. I'm going to go away from this and make my list for my top 50 of the 2000s. Yes, because... And, and bear in mind what else I've seen from the 2000s. This will not be as high as you want. Oh, probably not. I can guarantee that you you will you will look at my list and go that ginger scum. There's a lot there's a lot of things you could put on your list that will make me happy though. Some of them will be there. Some of them will also make you go that ginger scum. Hmm. Yes. I think of a certain a certain trilogy that that will be very high placing on my list. Sad sad part is is that could be two trilogies that I don't like. No no because the the other trilogy only only two of them are eligible. <laughs> The better, not, the better both not be on your top 50 of the 2000s. One may. I have not yet decided. If you put Attack of the Clones on your top 250 of the 2000s, I will disown you. Just Okay, just some little context here. For anyone who is not part of the Malfa's Facebook group, uh, when when we do these countdowns, there are often, or almost always, troll answers for the one and two slots. I kind of want to submit my list with a troll number one now. Oh, that skews the results. So that's the most points you're giving out there. That's that's a bad idea. Aye, aye. That's that's what I'm thinking. No, no. Uh. 
Anyway, guys, that's Mulholland Drive on 121 in Flux. Let us know what you think of the film, if you've seen it in the comments below. Uh, like and subscribe and all that stuff. Uh, like we say, we'll have another movie next week. This is actually a little bit later this week than we usually are. Uh, that was just scheduling, uh, not to back. And the funny thing with these is that because it's not it's not a new movie that's out, so we don't feel bad that much about leaving it a day if things are in the way kind of thing. Uh, but hopefully we should stick to schedule uh, next week. But, yeah, so let us know what you think. Uh, get us on Twitter at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates and stuff. Uh, at wibble89 for me if you want like general ramblings. At connorryan94 for his ginger ramblings. And that's us. So thank you very much for watching. Keep watching movies. We'll see you next time. <laughs>